Aibo and from Sri Lanka. On behalf of Authenticities community, it has been a huge pleasure to bring you these uh, live sessions and I thank you for taking the time to join in. Uh, your host for today is Aaron Sivaraja, director at Ceylon Wild Safaris. Uh, if I may explain his career so far, he was uh, born in the UK to a Sri Lankan father and British mother. Uh, he, along with his family, moved to Sri Lanka, lock, stock, and barrel when he was nine years old. Being obsessed with wildlife, moving to Sri Lanka opened the door, which only served to further put his passions for wildlife into effect. His primary and secondary education was in Sri Lanka. At the age of 16, he left to Australia, where he studied spiders through the Sydney uh, Tefe for one year before taking the biggest leap to pursue his passion when Aaron joined the eco-training team in South Africa. His career truly began in South Africa after qualifying in wildlife field, guiding and also gaining trails qualification in the Kruger National Park. He went on to further additional courses in tracking, advanced rifle handling, navigation, wilderness survival and situation awareness. With the completion of his training and gaining work experience on a private concession, he spent two and a half years in South Africa uh, to uh, do guiding as well as anti-poaching. He returned to Sri Lanka in 2013 with the intentions of serving Sri Lanka to introduce new standards of wildlife guiding. Over the years, he has been involved in training rangers and working for Leopard Trail Safari Camp before venturing on his own to set up Ceylon Wild Safaris, conservation-based, professional tented safari operation. Sri Lanka is an island with incredible wildlife diversity, and to enlighten you more on this subject, uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Aaron. Over to you, Aaron. Perfect, guys. Uh, once again, um, as Shanita said, I am from Sri Lanka. Um, so today, um, I want to first um, obviously just thank you all for taking the time to, to listen to me speak briefly on, on the wildlife diversity um, and conservation of, of Sri Lanka. Um, so guys, I think we're just going to jump straight into this. Um, uh, I'm going to try and not take um, too much of your time, but we have a, a few things to cover. Um, so an insight to the Sri Lankan uh, wildlife and its conservation. Um, what we're going to do first is um, I'm going to go through the contents of the presentation um, so that you all have a little bit of an understanding of my intentions um, and the flow of the presentation. Um, we're sort of going to be taking this in a general order um, that gives us a greater understanding um, and appreciation as to why uh, Sri Lanka has such an incredible uh, diversity. Um, so um, to, to, to accomplish that intention, we're going to start with the bigger picture, and then we're going to slowly zoom in to the fine details of, of Sri Lankan wildlife. Um, so first of all, we're going to cover topography and the, and the general weather patterns of the island. Um, and that is, is uh, the key factors that lead us to, to the various biomes and, and ecoregions of the island. Um, we will also come to um, a small description uh, so people have a greater understanding as to what the word biomes uh, are. 
Um, and then we're gonna, then from there, we'll go into the more in-depth sections where we look into the unique factors of wildlife and then break down into the national parks. Um, I will also be sharing with you uh, a slight hint of scientific knowledge on, on some of the work we do here in terms of leopard identification. Um, and then at the end, we will cover the threats and conservation, um, just like happens in a lot of the world. Okay. So first of all, just to start, um, topography and weather patterns. So these are the primary factors that shape the diversity. Um, I often like to think of this as, as an equation. Um, so topography being the shape of the island, um, including its different elevations. Uh, topography has an effect on the anabatic and catabatic winds, um, as well as the monsoon winds, um, as well as the rainfall that occurs in different elevations of the island. Um, so topography in conjunction with the weather patterns, um, and we will also touch on how that comes into climatic regions. Um, so on the right, of the screen. Um, I believe you should all see a small map there. Um, that map is, a, is a, a general topographical map where if you see um, as you go from the coastlines, as you, as you head slightly towards the center of the island is where you start seeing these higher elevation points. Um, and for such a small island, um, it's quite fascinating to see that our highest point actually exceeds 8,000 feet. Um, so that, that, that is one of the most incredible topographical situations that can have a huge effect on the, on the winds and rainfall throughout the island, which obviously affects the soil types um, throughout the island. Um, so here we have a, a slight uh, picture of the, of the general weather patterns. Um, I think for, for those of you in the travel industry, you, you obviously uh, know a little bit about the monsoons, um, but just to refresh your memory, um, so we have, we have a major uh, northeast monsoon, um, which, which takes part um, around sort of November, December, uh, January, and then we have a southwest monsoon, which is more mid-year. Uh, but in, in, in addition to those, uh, we also have inter-monsoons, um, which, uh, as you can see on the left where the writing is, um, they occur in the northeast from March to April um, and in the southwest, um, October to November. Okay. So with the topography and the weather patterns that we've just looked at, the day-to-day -day weather patterns, um, those two hand in hand bring forward um, different climatic regions. Um, so as you can see on the map to the right, um, the arid zones, um, the dry zone, the intermediate zone and, and the wet zone. Um, so this is all influenced because of how the topography um, has an effect on the weather patterns throughout the island. So now going into the second section of understanding how Sri Lanka has such an incredible biodiversity, we have to first also understand what are biomes and ecoregions. Um, so first of all, what is a biome? 
Um, very easy to understand. A biome is a geographical area that can be classified by the plants and animals that live in it. Um, generally speaking, um, we can we can assume that a biome or an ecoregion is a is a larger picture of a region um, based on the the climate um, having an effect on, on on the fauna and flora that are found there. Um, so just to make it easier for you, um, a basic example um, would be a rainforest. A rainforest is is one particular type of biome. Um, and then, of course, the grassland um, is another biome. Um, the montane wet zone is another biome. Um, and for those of you who have um, been to Africa, you may have heard of savanna um, is another, another biome. Um, so in Sri Lanka, the biomes of Sri Lanka, we astonishingly have 14 uh, different biomes. Uh, which is incredible because where I used to work in South Africa, um, throughout the whole of South Africa, which is, which is, uh, which is an incredible uh, amount larger than Sri Lanka, um, we have only eight in South Africa. Um, but on this very tiny island, thanks to these uh, topographical and, uh, and climatic factors, um, we have 14. Uh, one of those, which is actually unique to Sri Lanka, which is number 14 on here, which is called the Villu ecosystem, um, which is an ecosystem which is found only in Wilpatu National Park um, and only in Sri Lanka. So we're just going to move in now, uh, zoom in a little bit. So now we've got a, a, a brief understanding of how the topography and the climate and the, uh, how that affects uh, the biomes and ecoregions of the island. Um, now we're going to zoom in a little bit and look at some of the unique factors about Sri Lankan wildlife. Um, all of these factors that we're about to touch on are influenced not only by the things that we've just touched on, but also the fact that it's an island. Um, Sri Lanka has had island isolation for over, over 6,000 years. Um, and, and those all play a role in, in genetics um, with, within wildlife. So we're about to cover... Um, a high percentages of endemism, um, evolutionary gigantism, compact ecoregions, which is one of my favorite marketing points um, about Sri Lanka, and social opinion towards wildlife. So here, um, we're going to look briefly at endemism. Um, so for those of you who are not 100% familiar with the word endemic, um, what endemic means is it's only found in the location that you're speaking of. Um, so if we say that an animal is endemic to Sri Lanka, it means it's only found uh, in, in Sri Lanka. Um, so to give everyone a, uh, a broader uh, appreciation for Sri Lanka's levels of endemism, we've got a small graph here, which a friend of mine who did a presentation on the matter not long ago allowed me to use. Um, and we did some research, um, which really, really shines light on the percentages of endemism uh, found in Sri Lanka. So we've compared Sri Lanka to Madagascar, Borneo, and New Guinea, uh, which are all places known for, known for their endemism. Um, so if we look on the graphs, um, first we can take the, the top graph is birds. Um, now, if you look at the number of endemic bird species in Sri Lanka compared to the other three countries, 
we may have less in number, but if you compare that number to the land area, uh, and we, we convert that into a species per unit area, which gives us an average percentage of endemism, Sri Lanka takes the prize there at 7.2 uh, percentage um, uh, uh, as, a, as endemism, whereas the others take 2.6, 1.0, 5.8. And the same, the same concept goes for reptiles, except reptiles is, is even more astonishing. Um, where, where species per unit area as a ratio, Sri Lanka takes the prize there with 13.2, um, whereas the other countries remain 1.5 and below. Um, so that's, that's one of the most fascinating things about Sri Lanka. Endemism is extremely, extremely high. The other part that we're going to look into is evolutionary gigantism. Um, so what happens here is basically a lot of the world these days due to the change in in what's happening with habitat types and the loss of habitat and uh, gene pools being dispersed and separated by fragmentation um, these things happen across the world we're starting to see uh, something called dwarfism which is where wildlife in general um, are becoming smaller especially with certain species um, whereas in Sri Lanka, we've been extremely uh, sort of uh, showing an opposite to that, where certain species are actually becoming larger um, because of the genetic pools and the, uh, and, and the food sources um, that are shared within that, that balance of ecosystems. Um, so two of the prime examples uh, are the elephant and the leopard. Um, both are believed to be the largest of their subspecies. Um, so those are, those are another interesting uh, fact about Sri Lankan wildlife, gigantism instead of dwarfism. Now, this next one, compact ecoregions. This is, this is the one that really captures me personally um, as a person who's traveled a, a lot for, for wildlife and, and well, as, as general traveling. Compact ecoregions, what I mean by this is if, if we look at each picture on the screen right now, um, we can see one of them um, being over here is an extremely dry area. Um, so we've got arid zone here. Um, we've got elephants in water holes. This here was taken in Vilpattu. So this is the Vilu ecosystems. In the bottom left, you've got a, a beautiful uh, scenic view from up in the mountains. This was taken up in the Horton Plains. Uh, and then over to the right, you've got Singharaja rainforest, and then of course the coastal ecosystems. What we mean by compact ecoregions with this is that everything is with, within such close proximity to one another. Um, whereas in many countries, um, you might actually have to visit country to country to be able to tick off these boxes, wherein is in Sri Lanka, it's literally a, a few hours drive from, from one to another. Social opinion towards wildlife is basically, uh, I'm just going to touch lightly on this. This is uh, a very positive thing where majority of the Sri Lankan population um, is, is actually a Buddhist population. Um, and that has a general positive upbringing towards wildlife within, within local communities uh, and especially rural areas. So there is a positive outlook um, towards wildlife with the social opinion. 
So now just to look at the national parks of Sri Lanka. Um, astonishingly, for such a very small, tiny, weeny little island, uh, we actually harbor 26 national parks at the moment. Um, there is two more proposed national parks uh, in the talks, uh, which will bring us to 28. Um, compared to many other countries of the world, uh, to have this many national parks on such a small island is absolutely uh, fascinating. Um, but let's move on to see which ones we are going to focus on. So the highlight parks for travel based on animal viewing and access um, are the following. Um, so we're going, to, um, we're going to look at Yala or Ruhunu National Park. We're going to look at Wilpattu. We're going to look at Udowalawa. And we're going to look at the Horton Plains. Um, I have little brief descriptions on each of them. So let's, let's go ahead and talk about them briefly. Um, first of all, Yala National Park. Um, we've all heard of this national park. It seems to be one of the most popular parks for travelers to visit. A lot of that is to do with, with finding leopard. Um, and that's, that's, that's absolutely acceptable. Um, everyone wants to see them. But let's look a little bit at the details of Yala. So Yala is actually much larger than what the general traveler gets to see. Um, if we, uh, I don't know if you can see my cursor, um, but there's at the bottom of this map in the light green section, uh, that's Yala zone one, which is where a lot of people visit. And that's mainly because of the, the tourism development areas surrounding the park. Um, but all of Yala is actually this entire green section of the map that you can see. Um, so Yala is divided into six zones of which five are open to the public. Um, and you actually have decent access to, to, to visit a lot more of it than, than, than what the regular or average traveler gets to see. I'm just going to touch on common questions about Yala uh, quickly. I'm not going to do this for the other parks. I'm going to do this for Yala because um, as somebody in the industry, I've noticed that, that Yala seems to be the park that people have the most questions for. Um, so first of all, the best time to visit. Um, in my personal opinion with that, it depends what you're looking for. But if we're going to target the average traveler who is really looking for the big game and wants to sight leopard and elephant and have some wonderful sightings, ideally away from large crowds, um, then that would have to be mid-year. So the, the sort of the dry season of Yala. So I would say ideally between June to August. Um, uh, would be ideal. That's also a dry time of year, so people catch the leopards at the waterholes, and it's also not the peak tourism season for Sri Lanka, so there's, there's a little bit less um, in terms of traffic moving around. Um, the highlights. Uh, there is more than just leopard, um, but definitely leopard is a highlight. People also come to see elephant, uh, bear, wild water buffalo, and obviously fantastic bird watching. And the scenery is incredible as well. I think one of the most fantastic parts about Yala is that, is that it covers so many different biomes and ecoregions and vegetation types within, within a very small area. Um, so that's definitely one of the highlights for me. Um, 
overcrowding. Um, this is this is a common um, thing that is raised, um, but uh, the answer is actually just below that subheading there. So professional guiding, showing diversity and providing an educational experience. So what this means is um, this sort of refers to, to being able to educate and in, entertain your guests um, without the need of, of chasing the same leopard as everyone else. Uh, the park is a lot bigger than, than that um, and there's a lot more than one leopard in it. Um, so uh, in the greater scheme of things, um, there's, there's a lot more that you can show your guests. Um, so professional guiding um, and showing diversity of the park rather than focusing on one thing is ideally um, the best way to, to avoid that issue. Um, and then other activities other than game drives. This is something which I, I picked up in, in Africa. This is something that we do with our guests at the camps. Uh, we we take our guests on little track and sign um, educative walks. Uh, we do little little training programs. Uh, we do birding courses. We do wilderness survival courses. Uh, we do presentations. We do some sort of meditation sometimes as well. Um, so these are these are things that you can really incorporate into the Yala experience rather than only uh, driving around. Wilpatu National Park is uh, one of my favorite national parks in the country. It's the largest. Um, it's not, not very crowded at all. Um, it's one of the best places in the country to look for the sloth bear. Um, if you were to come to Sri Lanka and search for a sloth bear, then, then Wilpatu National Park would, would very likely be the place that you would want to start. Um, that being said, it's not only about the bear. Wilpatu is known for its very unique ecosystem. Um, it's a park which it covers 130 plus thousand hectares, um, which is absolutely gigantic. And there's over 66 different natural water sources dotted throughout the park. And there are road systems throughout the park to actually go and visit each and every one of these. Um, so in terms of scenery, um, I would say Wilpatu is probably the best park in Sri Lanka if you were to just go out for the whole day uh, and just really appreciate being among nature and appreciating the wildlife that you're surrounded by, um, but also maintain the chance of, of seeing things like leopard and bear um, and the occasional elephant as well. Then there's Udawalua National Park. Um, I'm sure everyone must have heard of this park. Um, this is mainly an elephant-schemed uh, elephant park. Um, many years ago, uh, the construction of the Udawalua Reservoir, uh, which, was a, which was a vital uh, thing to do in terms of the sustainability of Sri Lankan communities, uh, a lot of the elephants in that region were, were pushed a little bit aside, but the government was kind enough um, to take that into consideration and create a large amount of land surrounding the reservoir uh, and turn it into a national park for the, for the protection of the elephants and other wildlife that was, that was displaced. Um, so now that, that area, um, very well known for elephant, um, is, a, is a very well frequented national park. Um, it's, it's something which you, if you go with the intention of going to see elephants, 
you will not be disappointed. Um, each time I've been, and I've been many times, I, I think I've seen at least over 60 elephants each time I've, each time I visited the park. Um, but it's also famous for the jungle cat as well. Um, the jungle cat is definitely not one of the common ones that you would find, but in Sri Lanka, if you are looking for one, uh, Udoalawe is a good place to look for a jungle cat. It's also the first place that I saw one as well. Then we have Horton Plains. Horton Plains is a beautiful national park. Uh, it's mainly for walking. Um, so this is, this is a, a park where you're able to experience uh, a little bit of the mountain wilderness uh, on foot without, without the disturbance of the noise of a vehicle um, or anything like that. So you just get to really, really uh, bury yourself in nature there. It's one of the top birding places in Sri Lanka. So for bird watching, it's, it's absolutely phenomenal, especially for endemic species. Um, but most of all, um, the part that gets me is the scenery. And, and something which people don't often talk about is actually the fact that uh, there are leopard as well in the Horton Plains. Um, personally, I was there for, for six months at one point um, tracking leopards. Uh, and we found 16 individuals in a matter of uh, a few months. Um, so Horton Plains has always been a favorite and it's also not very far from, from Nurelia, um, which is a common tourist destination. Um, so it's easily accessible from the, from the regular traveler's, uh, traveler's route. <clears throat> now we're going to quickly touch on the highlight species that people search for. Um, in Sri Lanka, we have something called the big five, which I, I prefer to call it the travel five. Um, obviously in, in Africa where I used to work, the big five uh, refers to the five most dangerous animals uh, that you could encounter on foot. Um, but here, obviously we are going to refer to what people travel to see. So the leopard, the elephant, the sloth bear, the blue whale, and the sperm whale. So I'm not going to take too much time on this particular section um, because I think a lot of us know what all of these animals look like. But the Sri Lankan leopard, and we, and we still have a lot more to go through, but the Sri Lankan leopard um, is actually believed to be the largest of the nine subspecies of leopard in the world. Um, and Yala National Park and Wilpatu National Park, both of them, are known for, for being the best places on the island to find them. Um, it is actually believed that, that Yala National Park is in the top three highest densities of leopard in the world, if not, if not the highest. Um, it's on, I believe, the other two that it's in competition with are uh, one part of India and, um, and also in Mashatu, Botswana. And then the Asian elephant, of course, um, one, of, one of the traveler's favorites. Um, one of the fascinating things about them is that, that uh, elephants used to roam m most of the island, uh, but it's believed to be due to the colonial hunting era, as well as the development of the tea estates that we no longer find the, the Sri Lankan elephant up in the, in the high mountains. Um, apart from a small herd, which apparently still exists around Peak Wilderness um, area. Um, but one, one of my, as a, as a person who's experienced seeing elephants in a few different countries, what I love about Sri Lanka is the fact that 
the, the wildlife community seems to have developed this incredible love towards tusked elephants. Um, and and this, is, this is because less than 6% of our elephants actually have tusks. Um, so the wildlife community now actually named them after some of the ancient kings, uh, which actually I find to be quite, um, quite fascinating because it just shows how majestic that they are. Then of course the sloth bear, um, the sloth bear is, is not something common to find, but, uh, but lucky people do see them. The best time to be in Sri Lanka to search for a sloth bear would be in, in what's called the Palu season, um, which is um, in April to June. Um, and that's when, that's when their favorite uh, type of berry is in season. So they climb the trees to get the berry and it's therefore um, a lot easier to find them. Um, otherwise, they're in the ground, um, on the ground, in the thicket, feeding on termites and ants, um, and they will feed on carrion as well. Okay. The blue whale. Um, so the blue whale and the sperm whale are the two next uh, ones for our Sri Lankan big five. Um, Personally, I'm, I'm not a major marine person. I have, I have gone whale watching, um, but the blue whale is a fascinating thing to see. Um, it is the largest living creature on earth. Um, there have been some individuals that weigh over 150 tons. Uh, and it doesn't sound um, that astonishing when you say that over a presentation, but, but believe me, when you, see one, when you see one in the flesh, it's rather, rather quite mesmerizing. Um, the, best, the best time to see both species of whales would be um, on the south coast season. Um, my guess for that is around um, between, um, between October to March, um, uh, but uh, I believe Shanita will be able to shed better light on the time of years for that because he's got a lot more experience than I do in whale watching. But blue whales and sperm whales, both both an incredible thing to see. Okay, now just before we get into the interesting leopard stuff, I'm just gonna briefly touch on birding. Um, so 448 recorded species, um, that number has actually climbed now. Um, that is now climbed, that, 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 that number is from a few years ago. Um, I think we're now at 470 recorded, um, but 34 endemics now as well. Um, Diversified travel. Um, this, is, this is what makes birding in, in Sri Lanka friendly to a lot of guests um, because a lot of the top birding destinations are actually uh, en route with your regular travel route. So if we look here at this map, um, this sort of highlights some of the top birding spots. So we've got Singharaja Rainforest, Kitulgala, Horton Plains, Wilpatu and Boondala. Um, all of these spots are, are not too far off route from, from your regular uh, tours, also to the cultural sites, to the beaches, um, to the historical towns, um, uh, to also witness the mountains and also the low coastal areas. You'd be able to tick off all these boxes as well. So it makes birding very easy. Um, the birding in Sri Lanka is also the same time. Uh, the migratory season is the same time as the European winter. Um, so that also helps with, with birding. So now the rare few. Um, so the rare few that people would 
or wildlife enthusiasts would jump out of their skin to, to see in Sri Lanka would be, would be a pangolin, uh, a rusty spotted cat, a fishing cat, the gray or, or red slender loris, and the Eurasian otter. Um, so first of all, the pangolin. Um, for those of you who are not sure what a pangolin is, it's a, it's a very rare anteating species. Um, and I've actually uh, got some friends who have been guiding for 30 years um, who have not yet had the pleasure of seeing a pangolin. Um, but thankfully in Yala National Park, I've had my luck. Um, and that picture on the bottom there with the leopard actually chasing one um, was taken by me a few years ago. Um, and then the one on the left, the pangolin walking down the road, uh, was taken uh, just about about six months after. Um, so that that's a fascinating thing. So proof that Yala does have pangolin. Um, rusty spotted cat. This is another one which is not too um, it's not too easy to find. But if you look in this in the right places, there is a chance of finding them. Um, the rusty spotted cat is the smallest species of wild cat in Asia. Um, and and it's, it's so small that it's actually hard to spot. They also spend a lot of time in the thicket. Um, they have to because they have to be a bit careful from their, their larger predators. Um, but they eat very small prey, usually insects, baby lizards. Um, they'll sometimes even raid eggs, etc. Um, but you can find the rusty spotted cat throughout most of the dry zone parks. Um, as, as well as some of the intermediate zones. Uh, then the fishing cat. This is the second largest predator on the island. Um, the fishing cat, if you're, with the, if you're with the right guides and you're with the right people, uh, you, there is actually some hotspots on the island um, to find them. Um, but they are a fascinating cat to see and one of the strange um, cats that actually enjoys water. Uh, they spend most of their time trying to catch fish uh, and they'll eat crustaceans, freshwater crabs, uh, and so forth. Uh, the Eurasian otter, um, very similar um, in behavior to the fishing cat in what they feed on. Um, so again, uh, if you're with the right people, there, there is some hot spots that you can look for the, the Eurasian otter because they are highly territorial. Um, so the, 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 the few guides who know the territories of some of them um, can be very helpful if, if you wanted to focus on trying to find an otter. Um, but those are some of the, the rare few. And then the gray slender loris. This one um, actually with some of, the, some of the buffer zone jungles outside of the Wilpatu National Park area is a great place to look for them. Um, it's, it's not a common thing to find, um, but it's definitely, uh, definitely one of the ones that you would want to look for. Um, they make a very high screeching sound. So if you, are, if you were to use your torch at night while staying in any of the properties um, in the buffer zone jungles of, that, of the Wilpatu area, if you hear that screeching sound, you just shine your torch in that direction and their, their big adorable eyes usually shine back the light and gives away their position. Um, so it's not a common thing to find, but definitely a highlight. Um, I believe there's, there's one company in Sri Lanka that does a lot of work with them as well. Um, I, think it's, I think it's the Villoyana property that handle a lot of their conservation.
So now for the fun stuff. Okay, so leopard density of Yala National Park. Um, what do we know about the leopard density? Um, what I'm going to touch on here for you is, is identifying individuals, uh, mapping territories, um, and the fact that we have one of the highest densities of leopard in the world. So first of all, how do we identify leopards? I'm going to use a few different photographs to demonstrate. Um, but we would like to maintain accuracy um, by using multiple methods. Um, a lot of people use only one of the methods on this list, uh, but for accuracy, we believe in actually trying to record all of them. So unique pattern recognition, flank matching, whisker spot ratios, gender, location, forehead pattern matching. Um, so the, 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 the last three, gender, location, and forehead pattern, you will understand that once I show you the, the diagrams of the first three. So first, let's look at this leopard here. Um, so we're looking at, uh, at a 3-3 Handu Norua male. Uh, this, this particular male leopard's name was Hamu. But what we mean by unique pattern recognition is if we look at the area on the picture where I've circled, um, we're, what we're looking for here is a, is a sort of unique pattern that stands out at first glance. In this particular leopard's case, he's got almost this boomerang-like shape um, within where I've circled there. And that's at first glance, that's, that's a very easy giveaway for who it very likely could be. So that's what we mean by unique pattern recognition. It could be on the head, it could be on the body, it could be anywhere. It's just a, it's just a unique sort of pattern that stands out. The second level um, that we like to look at is flank matching. Um, so flank matching again is looking for something unique, but obviously we have to remember that flanks can be a lot easier to use than, than a head or anything because there's a lot more uh, rosettes to work with. So uh, for those of you who are not too sure, leopard uh, spot patterns, or actually they're called rosettes. Uh, the rosette patterns are actually like a human fingerprint. So each individual leopard has a unique pattern. Um, so with a flank pattern, what we've done here is we've circled a unique one for you, where you can see actually where two rosettes are sort of joined in a way where it looks like a pair of spectacles. Um, that's, that's not an extremely common uh, one to see. Um, so that in this case, we've used that in his example for a, for a flank pattern. So if we were to take a photograph of a, uh, in this case, it's a female. If we were to take a female leopard's photograph in that area at a different date, the first thing we would do, if we have that same side, we would try to match the flank. Um, and then one of the main uh, methods of categorization is the whisker spot ratio system. Um, so what we mean by this is by counting the spots on either side of the nose line and above the top whisker line. So in this diagram that I've got here for you on this slide, you can see where I've got two straight lines. So those straight lines, one going the vertical is what indicates the nose line. And the one going horizontal uh, is what uh, represents the, the top whisker line. Um, so now on the next slide, you'll realize that um, what we're looking at 
is not on the nose line and not on, on the top whisker line. We're looking um, either side of them. So we're looking into these little, little triangle uh, sections here, where in the case of this individual, he's got a three on the left and he's got another three on the right. Uh, we do not count the black spots on the nose line um, because every leopard has them, um, whereas the, the more unique uh, patterns would be, would be here where we've circled. Okay. Um, so with those, obviously, gender, location, and uh, those would come into play to help us uh, with identification. Um, here we have a, a small map where I've actually just used um, one of the male leopards um, on our research um, against one of the female leopards territories. Um, so by recording the locations that we see the individuals each time we see them um, and we pinpoint that on the map over and over again, we can generally start to see uh, the beginning of a, a pattern. And by using that over a bit of time, we can generally circle uh, a leopard's territory and have a general idea of the area that he traverses. So this large one here is the male, and they tend to have larger territories than the female. Okay. Um, in Yala National Park at the moment, we're following 86 individuals just for Yala Zone 1. Um, and we're still uh, doing the projects for the other, the other blocks. So we're just going to look at very briefly the threats to wildlife. In all honesty, the threats to wildlife in Sri Lanka is very similar to everywhere else in the world. Um, as much as Sri Lanka has um, beauty, um, obviously, just like everyone else, there is problems. Um, we experience... Um, biopiracy, which would, which would refer to illegal animal trade um, or poaching. Thankfully, in Sri Lanka, that does not happen as much as it happens in Africa um, or in some parts of the world, such as South America. Um, urbanization is another issue um, and fragmentation. Both of those um, pretty much come hand in hand. Um, urbanization being the development of, of human settlements. Um, encroaching into wilderness areas and fragmentation being um, things such as mismanaged farming, uh, illegal logging, um, also directly derived from urbanization. Um, and these are, these are sort of the same problems that you would experience anywhere. Um, this is just to give you a brief understanding of, the, of how severe the threat can be. Um, so the map on the left here is, is a map of the wilderness cover um, that Sri Lanka had in 1992. And then the one on the right is the wilderness cover of 2010. Um, so when you look at it at first glance, it doesn't look like much of a difference. But if we look at where my cursor is and we look on the edges of what was very dense green before, we can see that the smaller pockets of wilderness in between those larger protected areas are slowly disappearing. Um, in this next map here on the right, um, we've used the red color to highlight the amount of wilderness land that has been lost um, between 1992 and 2010. 
Um, so obviously, um, this is happening all over the world. Sri Lanka is no exception. And um, sustainable operations are indeed required to fix it. Um, what are we doing to help? So the private sector, uh, in, and in many cases, in hand in hand with the government as well, uh, are working on reforestation, community development, training programs, uh, sustainable operations. Um, so just to touch on reforestations, for example, um, for these next few examples, what I'm going to use is some of the things that we've done as a private operator. Um, and, and we're not the only ones who are doing it. So that's a bit of positive, uh, positive thought. But, but reforestation is one. Um, so we use the funds um, or part of, part of the funds which are allocated from the tourism operation. And that goes into our reforestation programs. Uh, and that targets um, the reforestation of areas which were previously uh, farmed illegally. Um, and it, it, the idea behind this is to try and save the wilderness corridors, which are those wilderness lands um, in those disappeared pockets between, between the protected areas. Then, of course, community development. Um, this is a standard practice or should be a standard practice in, in most uh, tourism destinations. Um, so employment for members of the local community, uh, conservation activities involving the community. Um, for example, we do this by, by bringing local members of the community in to, to join in with our reforestation programs, um, invasive species removal programs, um, and lots of other things, including, including traditional activities as well. Um, and local purchasing of produce and hardware, obviously um, that is beneficial to the community and, and is a no-brainer to, to sustainable operations. Training programs, um, I have found, is one of the wonderful bridge builders between the private sector and the government um, and also to spread the word of the need for conservation and, and sustainability. Um, here we're using the example of one of the training programs that we did uh, where we trained um, some of the uh, national park officials um, on, on further knowledge of um, wildlife uh, biodiversity tracking um, and also to introduce to them the concept of uh, the importance of ethics in, in the wildlife industry. Um, and that was a very successful program, as well as built a brilliant relationship between the private and the government sector. Um, and then uh, the sustainability trend. Um, I've, used, I've used our solar, solar units here just as an example. Um, but I think overall, one of the most positive things that I've seen um, at the moment is the fact that that Sri Lanka is slowly, um, or actually quite rapidly, starting to see that sustainability is becoming a trend. Um, and that's not only a necessity, but it's also a very positive side to tourism. Um, sustainability becoming cool is, is, the, is, is sort of a win for everyone. Um, thank you very much, guys. I know I spoke fast, um, but I wanted to get through everything. Um, thank you so much for listening. Um, and yeah, once again, Ibuan and uh, hope to see you all um, on our beautiful island one day very soon.